Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Well, welcome to this latest episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. Today we're doing something different on Connect. We're going back to some of my favorite clips from shows of 2015. These are all collected at another site called Cultivated Clips from Connect. And you can hear all of those cultivated clips by going to our show's website, which is umconnect.info, going to the bottom right-hand corner and following that feed. There's I think eight or nine uh, different clips out of 2015, and we're working to include even more. In the first half of this show, we're going to look at the future. Last year, I had the pleasure of interviewing bishops Ken Carter and Charlene Cameron on the show, and I asked them both the same exact question, what does the future of the United Methodist Church look like? And so here now this clip with two bishops. This is a cultivated clip from Connect. First up, a clip from Charlene Kammerer. I'm wondering, and this is something I try and ask most everybody, is what do you see as a future of the United Methodist Church? Well, most importantly, I do see a future for us, Mm -hmm. a future of hope. I see a more global church, a, a church with much more diverse membership, I see new forms of new faith communities springing up all Mm. over in the U.S., in Africa, Asia, and the Philippines. I believe the heartbeat of our church is best seen in mission, and we only do that as a connectional body. I believe that we should stay together in spite of our differences, whether it's over theology or social issues or form of worship. I believe God will help us find a way forward, and I hope and pray that we will not let any one issue or matter ever divide us, because God has a purpose and a future for us. Now some thoughts from Ken Carter. What is the future of the denomination? What is the future of the United Methodist Church? I wanted to get your uh, thoughts on that. Well, I have no, uh, I'm not a predictor of those sorts of things, but but I, but I do. I, I, lately, I've been reading the rereading the work of uh, Phyllis Tickle, hmm. Great Emergence, where she talks about every 500 years there's a significant shift. The church cleans out its attic. Right. And uh, I think that my sense is that ch- our church in the future will be more missional. Uh, it will probably be less structured. It will be there will be more focus on the local level the local church the neighborhood mm-hmm. as Bishop good pastor talks about and i think the um uh and i think we'll have a less rigid polity uh and our connection will be maybe more like what the united methodist church's connection maybe more like what the world methodist council is now hmm. yeah it will be more based on a heritage of theology and on missional relationships and less uh, grounded in this um, very thick, very rigid book uh, that uh, we've sort of come to here at the beginning of the 21st century after a couple hundred years. 
right. of uh, of living together. I don't think that uh, that legality, uh, while it is a discipline we live we live in, um, I believe will be more flexible and missional in the future. Yeah, I don't think that Wesley had the idea that the book would get as thick as it has. I don't think so. He had a large book of hymns. That's right. right. It was about doxology. All right. That's right. You can find both interviews with the bishops at umconnect.info. And it's interesting that that particular segment was picked up by the United Methodist News Service back last year, and it was listened to by hundreds and hundreds of listeners. Um, uh, A couple of minutes is uh, one of those things that people listen to more often. So you regular listeners to... uh, connect on blog talk radio know that this is a 30 minute show and these couple of clips uh from the two bishops uh um because of their length uh many more listened and so we're going to try more of this in the future in getting little tinier clips out of our 30 minute shows and using them more frequently um another great privilege i had last year was to talk to a classmate of mine Uh, who is the former dean of Duke Divinity School about the future of the church. Uh, Greg Jones and I uh, were uh, uh, first-year students together at Duke Divinity School way back in the 80s, and we had this interesting discussion about the future of Christian formation, and I I picked out this uh, little story that he told, uh, which says a lot about what the future looks like. I had an experience of... uh... Um, us babysitting a, a three-year-old uh, girl who's the daughter of a pastor friend and uh, his wife, and we we spent the afternoon. They were going to the to the basketball game, and um, I thought, what am I going to do to entertain this three-year-old? And she came in the house with her iPad, sat down on the couch, and she manipulated the iPad in ways I didn't know it could be manipulated, and mm. just entertained herself and was learning and doing all sorts of things. And I just sat there and I thought. Oh my goodness, look at how sophisticated she is with an iPad. And then I wondered to myself, I wonder what her Sunday school experience is like. Right. And I I just started thinking about that and then I talked to a to a person I know who's a Christian and a uh, a leader in the technology industry. He founded and uh, runs a pretty large company and uh, that does uh technology and and I was talking to him and I said, "You know, we need to think about how technology is shaping learning in the church and uh, he said what do you mean I so I told him the story about this three-year-old girl and I said what I fear is that she still goes to her church and gets the same kind of Sunday school printed lesson that I got when I was a kid in the 1960s and uh, and he just looked at me and he said oh my goodness my kids get that he's he's a young guy Mm. with young kids and he said my kids come home with those Sunday school lessons and I didn't even think about that in relation to what I do in my work. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a kind of wake-up call to him as it is to me that we've got to think more about what does Christian formation for children look like in a technological age. Yeah, each day we live into the 21st century, we're faced with new challenges as a church to make disciples in this world that we live in. Uh, Another interview that I had the pleasure of doing in 2015, and it was actually replayed back in February, uh, was with Brian Milford. And Brian Milford and Greg Jones and I were all students at the same time at Duke. 
And he was just elected as the new chief executive of United Methodist Publishing House. And we had this chance to talk about the future of publishing and its effect on the church. And here's a little clip from that show. The United Methodist Publishing House, originally called the Book Concern, was formed in 1789. One of the oldest publishers in the United States and one of the oldest businesses in the mm. United States. And that's quite a legacy. Um, it's it's an incredible legacy of people who have worked in this uh, effort over the generations. And as we go forward into this new age, we do so sort of keeping being mindful of the past, you know, and the people upon whose shoulders we stand, uh, but also really excited about the future. Um, hmm. We could see everything digital as disruptive. That's one way to look at it. Mm -hmm. Another way to look at it is um, it's filled with opportunity. And that's the way I like to talk about it, is that there are so many opportunities for finding new ways and relevant ways to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with more people in more places, um, in more different ways than we've ever done before. Um, I just... I find it really exciting, and it's my new adventure. You can hear the entire show with Brian Milford at umconnect.info. And we're going to take a little bit of break and then turn to um, the whole idea of communications in this world, and we'll be speaking with Ken Garfield in that clip. So here's a word from our sponsors. My name is Sally Queen, and I'm the Associate Director of Ministerial Services. By virtue of our baptism, we are all called into ministry. This call is being faithfully lived out in the communities of Western North Carolina as people of all ages participate in building God's kingdom. Others are responding to God's call to license or ordain ministry by committing to faithfully lead our churches in vitality. All who are called are using their talents and gifts to follow Jesus, make disciples, and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build the church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes, and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina at the sponsor page on the show's website, umconnect.info. Last year, I had the privilege of talking with Ken Garfield on the show. Uh, Ken spent many years as the religion editor at the Charlotte Observer, and I remember reading him faithfully over the years in that newspaper. And he is now the Director of Communications at Myers Park United Methodist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. And so uh, this clip is uh, longer than those other three that we've listened to on the show. But I think in, in those minutes, he gives some very practical advice about how to do communications in the local church and, and to think about doing our work of communications in the world. Uh, so um, here are some uh, tips from Ken Garfield.
This is a cultivated clip from Connect. So we're back here with uh, Ken Garfield, and you know, hearing you tell about all your stories, it is amazing. Uh, probably the number of uh, words that you uh, put in print over those years, and I know it must <laughs> I be need a little to know. Bit. Yeah, it's a little different. I'm sure telling stories at a local church. Uh, and telling stories on a major newspaper, and and then I also know that some of it is very much the same. How do you compare those two settings? You know, your work uh, with the Charlotte Observer and your work with Myers Park. How do they compare? What are the similarities? What are the differences? Excellent question and a very good insight. And I will say that there are more similarities than differences. I, I tell people all the time, I talk with other churches, I do a lot of communications, counseling with people, and I say that I feel like I'm a editor of a small-town newspaper, and my town consists of 5,200 people, the number of members of Myers Park Church, and that my job is to tell the stories of this community. And I will also tell people that as many stories as were out there in the Carolinas, there were just about as many stories here at um, Myers Park. Everybody has a story. I like to tell people about the um, the old National Network uh, correspondent who would throw a dart at a map, uh, a dart at a map, and then wherever the dart landed, he'd go to that town and find a story or the other reporter that would open up a, a city phone book and point to a person and do a story on that person. Everybody has a story to tell. And, and it's it's the storyteller's obligation to sort of have his antenna out to find those stories. So it, it's very similar in that there are just as many stories. It's probably a little bit more warm and fuzzy at a church than in a newspaper, Um it's a little more probably personal here than it is in a newspaper. It has a little more, uh, I don't know, intimacy here. But the stories are the same. I'm writing a story right now when you called about a, uh, a, a church member who lost her husband to a very sudden illness at age 50. And mm. I'm writing about uh, the love of her life and, and, and what happens when you lose the love of your life at such an early age. And, and that, that's a cosmic story. We've all, we've all gone through that in some form. And so uh, the, the lessons of her life and loss are something that all of us can relate to. So I think there are more similarities. A lot of my job, frankly, is publicizing the Bloodmobile and publicizing the stewardship campaign. And and even in that, we look for the stories to tell that could, that could illustrate the Bloodmobile or that would inspire people to give money to the church. So mm. it's all about the storytelling. And I will say this, that the same challenges that a newspaper faces, which is the Internet and online and Facebook and Twitter, are the challenges facing a church where you have to communicate across so many different platforms. And as you're doing that, you have to be really steadfast in maintaining the importance of storytelling. It's a little bit hard hard to tell uh, this widow's story in 140 characters in a tweet. So you have to right. find a way to tell that story in 800 words. Um, and that's that's you know that's the challenge that I face as a storyteller. Yeah. Uh, I have no doubt about it. In, in doing my work, yeah, I have you know five or six platforms that I'm working on all the time, and Correct. Uh, the old thousand words um, just not going to cut it anymore. And uh, you know, I I went to school as an academic, and you know five thousand words was how we wrote. And when I got to the newspaper world, uh, if I got two hundred and fifty, I was lucky. And right. uh, and now one hundred and forty characters—that's a 
a, a regular story oh, right. for me. It's, now, it's I will different. Tell, you know, I, I, my typical column at The Observer, I think, was about 800 words. And mm. I have become a big believer in, in, in brevity and being concise and honoring people's time. And so you know, my typical piece now is probably 400 words instead of 800 words. Um, mm. So I, I do understand the importance of brevity. Um, but I also understand the importance of... Um, you know, if you have a good story to, to tell and God has gifted you with the ability to tell that story, people will find that story. People will oh, read sure. it. They'll learn from it. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a give and take. It's a, it's a creative tension, whether I work at a church or a newspaper. Um, the important difference, of course, is that at a newspaper, it's all about the profit. So right. wherever the money, uh, wherever the money can be made, that's what a newspaper will do. Here at a church, it's a little bit different mission. So our obligation, I believe, is to tell those stories, even if it's not the the, the most modern or the most uh, um, abbreviated way to do so. And so, because our job is to is to touch people. My job, I feel like, is to educate and to inspire and to comfort people with my writing. And you can do that across all platforms. It could be a beautiful picture on Instagram, or it could be a 600-word uh, story in our church magazine or newsletter. Yeah. And and you do have an outstanding um, magazine. It's uh, a, a classic among local church publications. And, and so I lift that up. Uh, anybody who Thank can you. go and find it, uh, go see the Myers Park magazine. Um, we call and, it. And, uh, we, it's Intersection Magazine. Dr. Howell came up with the wonderful name because we are, first of all, at a major intersection in Charlotte, but we are also at the intersection between people's lives and their faith life. And so this magazine is called Intersection, and we try to celebrate the the larger, more colorful stories of the church. And it's also available online now. You can correct go and watch it in issue. I I just saw one recently and. Uh, it's very impressive. So yeah, what can churches uh, do to tell their stories better in their communities and to relate to their local newspapers and, and to get their their stories told? Great question. I, I'm Ten times a year, churches will call or call me in to talk with them about communications. Yeah, you asked a twofold question. I say it's very important to, to spread your news to the to the uh, typically the newspaper in your community, sometimes radio or TV. Uh, it's all about relationships. Build a, uh, a good positive relationship with whoever does the religion for the newspaper or the radio or the TV station. Send your items. When, when we have an Easter sunrise service and that got in the Observer, we got more people from the community because they read about it in the paper. So designate someone at your church to be that person to reach out to the to the media. Um, just as importantly, no matter how much money you have for staff, designate someone on that staff to be the communicator, to be the storyteller, to be the newsletter publisher, to be the Facebook poster. Um, designate someone who, who wakes up and comes to work thinking about that and, and tries to do his or her best to, to communicate whatever the resources. And then I'll say that no matter how much money you have, you can tell a good story. That at every church, synagogue, mosque have the same number of rich stories that any other place has. And, and your job as the communicator is to go find those stories. Maybe it's a 12-year-old whose eyes were opened on a mission trip. Maybe it's a woman 
who started a support group for widows after her husband died. You can go find those stories, and you can tell those stories whether you're Ernest Hemingway or, or you're not. Um, but you've got to find those stories first, and every church should commit to the uh, to storytelling and the importance of storytelling as a ministry. I always remind people that, that mine is a ministry not unlike congregational care, not unlike discipleship or local missions, and uh, I treat it as such. You can catch the whole Ken Garfield show at umconnect.info. Well, some good advice there for local church communicators, and that's the fact of what we do. All of us are in the, the business of communicating gospel, and hope that you took today's show about the future and then about communications as a, a way to help you in your ministry. So thanks for listening to us at Blog Talk Radio. The show will be available as a podcast at our Blog Talk page and on the show's website, which is umconnect.info. We'll be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect.